right, Proverbs chapter 8, and particularly we're going to see chapters 8 and 9 sort of comprise a, another unit or a section here in our study in the book of Proverbs. Here in chapters 8 and 9, we see wisdom again being personified as this woman who is given an invitation that we might sort of uh, embrace relationship with her to be able to benefit from the help uh, that she would supply to us to be able to live better or to live well. And in some ways, I think the analogy perhaps even connects itself all the way back to perhaps even, as we said earlier in our study in Proverbs, to the book of Genesis. Uh, we may look at uh, wisdom here in the book of Proverbs and wonder why is it, and it has been a few times we've seen, personified as a woman. Uh, the ladies may say, well, that's obvious. The, the men may say, well, why is wisdom not personified as a man? But let me give perhaps a biblical reason for that. If you remember from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, God creates Adam. And then after he creates Adam, it says that he creates Eve for Adam to be a helper that is comparable to him so that he might actually do better together in relationship with Eve than he would if he were to live solitary and on his own. And it was the complementary partnership of God bringing the woman and bringing Eve into Adam's life and him embracing relationship with her that allowed Adam to receive necessary help that benefited him, that helped him to be able to do life better, to process decisions better. And I think in some ways, perhaps we see this female personification of wisdom because we see wisdom here in this female personification inviting us to enter into relationship with wisdom that we might receive the help and the benefits of wisdom. And as we enter into a relationship, we hear her voice calling out to us, the voice of wisdom saying, come and enter into relationship with me. And these are the benefits and the help and the things that are brought into your life as the result of that. We just saw last time in Chapters 5, 6, and 7, specifically the, the voice in a female sense of this very dangerous woman, the, the seductress, the woman who was flattering and trying to, remember, draw the young man into a sexually uh, immoral relationship and practice to bring him down and to destroy his life. And now in contrast, we see this much better voice that is crying out to us, and it's the voice of women, or the voice of wisdom, excuse me, personified as this woman saying, look, don't enter into that relationship. Don't follow after her voice and end up being someone who's reduced to a crust of bread and like an ox that's taken to the slaughter, whose life ends up in complete destruction. Remember the end of chapter 7, we read there uh, that he says, her house, the last verse of chapter 7, is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. So to listen to that voice of folly, the voice of the seductress or the immoral flattering woman leads to destruction, but now we're going to see the voice of wisdom is another option to embrace the wise way of living, which leads to many benefits and to a life of health and blessing and prosperity the way that God Intends. So chapter 8, verse 1 begins by telling us, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet, and she cries by the gates at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors, to you, O men, 
I call, and my voice is to the sons of men, O you simple ones, and again, that word simple refers to just the, the unlearned, the naive, those who are lacking understanding. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. So notice wisdom here we see always offers itself to everyone. And here we see the voice of wisdom extending itself, making itself very open that any can enter into relationship with wisdom to receive the help in our reasonings and in our decisions and in the way that we live our lives. And I think, again, as we've seen this a few times already, this is very valuable because it is wonderful to know that you don't have to be intelligent to be wise. Now, you can be intelligent and also be wise. You can also be someone who's very intelligent and is very foolish. But the wonderful thing is that wisdom is available freely to all, and it has nothing to do with our IQ or our intellect or our, you know, our educational training or opportunity, whether we have this many degrees and this level of education or whether we have very minimal or none at all. Because wisdom isn't about knowing facts and knowing information. Wisdom is about applying what we know to how and live life well. It's about, as we've been talking about many times, it's about living life skillfully. It's knowing how to make proper decisions, to make good judgments, to think before we act, to use prudence and to look forward. It teaches us how to do relationships properly, how to manage our affairs and our resources and our opportunities, how to communicate properly, how to have self-discipline and order our life in good stewardship. And so here we see wisdom making itself available to all. It says wisdom cries out, understanding lifts up her voice. That is the invitation is going out to everyone. There's no criteria. You don't have to be this smart or you can be anyone. And wisdom opens up the invitation to all. It says she takes her stand on the top of the high hill, a very evident place beside the way where the paths meet. So notice that when we find ourselves at times, and we do, don't we, as we're journeying through life, we find ourselves at times, sometimes like verse 2 describes there, as we're on the way where the paths meet. And sometimes as we're journeying through life, we kind of find ourselves, right, coming to those occasions where we're kind of like at a crossroad, and we're trying to decide which path should we take. And now all of a sudden, we're in a situation, and we realize, okay, I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of at a crossroad here, and, and should I take that path, or should I take this path and stay on this path, or, or should I take that path over there? And so whether that's a you know, life decision we're trying to make, or a uh, you know, a career determination or whether we should, you know, engage in a particular thing or not, or how we should maybe handle a particular relationship situation. Sometimes we kind of get brought to these crossroads in life and we realize, should I take this path, that path? Well, here we see that wisdom helps us to decide what path to take so that when we're on the way, if we listen to the voice of wisdom and we embrace and enter into a relationship with wisdom and let wisdom help us rather than operating in our own human reasoning, in our own foolishness from time to time where we can make bad choices and we all are prone to that. Remember Proverbs chapter 3 told us, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not 
on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Because remember, it's for the Lord is the one who gives wisdom, Proverbs 2 said, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And so that's what we want. We want the wisdom of God coming into our life so we know which path to take. And the wonderful benefit of wisdom is it can assist us to know which path to take when we're at that crossroad. It says, verse 3, that wisdom cries out by the gates. And again, the gates of the city were not only access into something, we're exiting out of something. And sometimes we find ourselves in those positions where you know, we're kind of, as he says there, at the gate of a city or the entry of the city, or verse 3, at the entrance of the doors. So here we're seeing these situations where we're at a doorway, we're at an entryway. Do I go in or do I not go in? Should I go through the door or not through the door? And, and sometimes we have to make those decisions. You know, sh should I enter into that or sometimes should I get out of this? And, and sometimes doors are exits. <laughs> should I get out of this and take the exit door and you know, get out of this situation and move on to something else or be free from this. And again, we can rely on our own human reasoning and sometimes we make foolish and poor decisions. But the wonderful thing is, is that when you embrace wisdom, wisdom helps you in that situation. And wisdom helps you to process whether you should enter into that doorway or maybe you should exit out of that and take the door to get out of something. And again, rather than be foolish, we can be wise in such times. And things are much better when we use good understanding and judgment thinking ahead. Because he says there in verse 4, To you, O men, I call, and my voice to the sons of men. And then is the exhortation, O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. So notice, wisdom wants us to be able to have an understanding heart. That is, to be able to properly understand in your given situation, what you should do, how I should handle that. Because sometimes we're, we're in a situation or we're dealing with something in this life and all the different areas and arenas of life. And we're wondering, I just, man, I wish I understood how to handle this properly. I wish I knew what was the, well, God says, I want to give you wisdom so that you'll have an understanding heart in that matter that your heart will have a degree of understanding. And, you know, I find it interesting. He doesn't say necessarily an understanding head because a lot of times that's where we get in trouble is we, we too pragmatically and logically try and draw conclusions too quickly. It looks good on paper, and so we want to oh, – it looks good on paper. I've seen lots of things in my life that looked very good on paper, but they were not a good idea from God's perspective. So it can't just be why well, use my own human reasoning. It looks good. It lines up logically. Uh, we need to have an understanding heart because there's much more to understand about given situations than just how things look on the surface. Remember the story in the Old Testament with, uh, you know, the, the Israelites as they're journeying through and they're beginning to conquer the territories. And it says that Joshua made the mistake on that one occasion where the people came deceptively and they said, hey, we're from a far country. Make a treaty with us. We're not your enemies. We're not from in the land here. Just make it. And they, they went, remember, came with their dirty clothes and their moldy bread. And it says this. It says, and they sampled their provisions, but they did not seek the Lord. In other words, they checked it on the surface. Looks good. Seems like it. Story sounds good. Facts seem to line up, but they didn't seek the Lord to say, but Lord, 
is this your will? Because if they would have sought the Lord, God would have said, they're deceiving you. Just because it looks good, don't buy into that. And, and, and they would have saw that, and they would have spared themselves a, a challenge that they got into, remember, where they were snagged in that situation. So again, God wants us to have that understanding heart. And, and I'm so thankful God can say, look, I know you're simple. I'm, I'm, it's wonderful to be able to just be a simpleton before God. Lord, I, I, I'm just a simpleton. I don't know, Lord. I don't have all the facts. I don't have all the details. But thankfully, God does. He can see the whole picture. He knows all things, and we can be simple and be fools, and God offers us the opportunity to be able to have an understanding heart, to understand what he wants us to know in the situation, to be able to make the best choices. Verse 6, he says, listen, for I will speak of excellent things. So again, this is now the voice of wisdom throughout these chapters speaking. We hear the voice of, of wisdom. She says, listen, for I will speak of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. So we notice here that wisdom will give to us, we might say, excellent guidance. And what a wonderful thing to be able to receive not just guidance, but excellent guidance. Really excellent, superior guidance is what wisdom supplies to us. And it will be advice that is superior in its quality to how we should handle things. And that's many times one of the ways you can distinguish wisdom, that when something is good wisdom, sound wisdom, God's wisdom, it is the, the characterizing mark is it will be really excellent guidance where you go, man, that's really excellent. That's an excellent approach to that, or that's a, that's a superior way to handle that situation because it says here that wisdom will speak excellent things, and from the opening of my lips, the ideas of wisdom, will come right things. So wisdom, when it's shared, will resonate in such a way where something within us, if we're willing to be humble and receptive, will say, you know, I got to admit, that's right on there. And something about it will resonate with that. When we hear wisdom, we'll go, yeah, that's right on right there. I mean, that, is, that just sounds right. That sounds like the right way to handle that. And to me, I find that unique because when we move forward to the New Testament, and remember, one of the spiritual gifts that can come forth from the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, is the word of wisdom. And the word of wisdom is basically when an all-wise God, who's the source of wisdom, imparts in a given situation a supernatural measure of wise insight in a given situation in such a way where perhaps we're perplexed, we don't know what to do, or there's a solution that's needed to a matter, and the Holy Spirit imparts supernatural wisdom for a solution to that matter or to basically just resolve a problem or restore peace in a given situation. And this is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, and it's very descriptive of exactly what we read of, of wisdom described in the Bible here. Verse 7 goes on to say, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. So wisdom from God, notice, will always align, we read here from verse 7, with what's foundationally true. So how can we know when this is God's wisdom? Well, it's going to align with what is true foundationally, and God's wisdom is never going to compromise it's always going to align with what is true in accordance with the God of all wisdom and with the truth of God's word. 
And one of the ways we can always distinguish, hey, what's the source of that wisdom? In James 3, I'm sure we'll talk about more as we go on, James 3 describes there are different kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom from above, which is God's wisdom, but then there's also wisdom of this world, worldly wisdom, how the world reasons and handles things and deals with matters. There's sensual wisdom, that is, there's the wisdom of man thinking in their own humanity that they know how to take care of everything and they're self-governed and they're God in and of themselves and so they, they have their own wisdom, but it comes from a sensual, fleshly thing where it's in accordance with the desires and my rights and my way. And then the Bible even says there's demonic wisdom. That is wisdom that comes straight from the pit of hell, that the devil himself can put forth deceiving wisdom. And so one of the ways we can distinguish when we know, hey, is this God's wisdom? Is this that wisdom from above? Well, he says, here's one of the ways you can tell. Wisdom says, my mouth will always speak truth. So if there's anything in that wisdom or so forth that's being shared that you're listening to, and it's a compromise of truth or encouraging you to compromise or take an exception or cut a corner or pervert or twist things a little bit, that ain't God's wisdom no more. Because God is not schizophrenic, God is not bipolar, God is not inconsistent. God always stays in alignment with what is truth. He's a God of truth, and even all his wisdom is always going to be foundationally true and aligned with his truth. And we'll find that when we are doing what is in accordance with God's wisdom, anything he says that is wicked or sinful, he describes there, is an abomination to what's true wisdom. So when we're operating in God's wisdom, anything that we could possibly consider doing that is wicked or sinful would be detestable because wisdom would say, I detest that which is not right, and, and it, wisdom will, will cause us to strongly refuse sinful activity. And when we're operating in God's wisdom, there will be that, hey, I, just, I want nothing. If that's not in alignment with God's way, I don't want anything to do with that. And I'm not going to compromise or sin to get my way and kind of work a situation. That's never God's wisdom if it's prompting us to do that. Verse 8 says, all the words of my mouth, again, the words of wisdom, are righteousness. So God's wisdom is going to bring forth righteous direction that aligns with doing what's right in the sight of God and right between us and fellow man. And nothing crooked or perverse is in them. So there's never, again, going to be no kind of manipulating the situation, not just crooked or perverse in the sense of sexually perverse and crooked. Certainly that's one way. But there are a lot of other ways that people do crooked and perverse things. And God says, when my wisdom is in operation, they won't be tainted like that. There won't be crooked, perverse activity and kind of you know twisting the situation, manipulating. He says, no, none of that kind of stuff would be a part of God's wisdom. They are all, it says, verse 9, plain, obvious, evident to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction, verse 10, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, he says, verse 11, and all things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So notice there's this understanding that wisdom operates in a way where it brings about what is clear, what is obvious. He says there in, in, in verse 9 there that all her ways are plain to the person who understands and right. So there's always going to be plain, obvious communication, nothing sneaky, nothing shifty, 
when God's operating in a way, you know, the, the wise way to do things is always in the open, above reproach, no hiding, no sneaking, no backdoor nonsense, just it's plain. Plain as day. God does things in the light. When things are not plain and obvious and you got to read between the lines or dig a little deeper to make sure there's no underlying thing, he says that, that that's not wisdom. That's human foolishness that leads people to do things in dark ways and you can't be sure if it's plain and obvious what's being conveyed. He says, no, the, the things of God's wisdom are plain to the one who understands. It's evident, it's obvious, and it's greatly beneficial. Verse 10 and 11, he says that we should receive wisdom's instruction and care more about that rather than choice gold and silver. He says, verse 11, wisdom is better than rubies, a highly rare and greatly uh, expensive jewel in that day, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So notice the value of acquiring wisdom, the Bible says, is much greater than even amassing wealth. Now, you wouldn't know that if you look around the world, or certainly if you look among the American culture, because the drive of the American culture is amass wealth and amass education to try and amass more wealth. And what we have done is we have created people who've amassed a lot of wealth and amassed a lot of degrees, but a lot of people are living very foolishly. And they're managing their life and their affairs and their finances and their marriages and their families and their child raising in very foolish ways. And I don't know, are you really getting ahead then when you're doing that? And God here says, look, if you want to have something that you pursue after, the most valuable thing you can acquire is much greater than amassing wealth. We should have a greater desire, the Bible says, to be wise than just wealthy alone. Nothing wrong with wealth. He's going to say later on that wisdom can be one of the contributors to help a person accrue wealth because you handle your affairs wisely. But what he's saying is, is that our greater desire, our greater pursuit should be pursuing wisdom and becoming wise rather than just wealthy alone because more can be done with wisdom than can be done with wealth. And that may seem contradictory to some, but I'm telling you, money can't buy everything. And it certainly can't fix everything. Look at extremely wealthy people whose lives are a shipwreck, and their money can't fix their situation. But if they imparted a little bit of wisdom in their situation, that might begin to help them turn the corner if their life's fallen apart. So again, wisdom has much greater power and potential. And so therefore he says, look, make your greatest desire and highest pursuit God's wisdom because you can do more with the resource of wisdom in your life than you can even any financial resources that you have. You can get much more out of life by just utilizing wisdom. He says it's better than all those things and nothing can be compared with her, with wisdom. Verse 12, I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. So notice wisdom brings benefits. He describes here once again, that's been kind of the whole build and emphasis of these first nine chapters, the value of wisdom, the, the importance of wisdom, the things we, we gain that are important from wisdom. Here he speaks again of things like prudence, which speaks of thinking ahead and how we make decisions. That's what prudence is. Prudence is making decisions thinking beyond the present moment and that you don't make decisions based upon impulse or the present situation, but you always factor in tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. That's prudence. 
with prudence, you evaluate a situation and you focus in an intentional way beyond just the impulsive, instantaneous, momentary situation. That's prudence. That's prudence. And wisdom brings prudence into our lives. It helps us in our decision-making. Wisdom also says brings knowledge as we helps us to acquire a greater level of understanding about life matters. And not just, again, necessarily book smarts, but life matters and, and how to be more informed, how to do life better. It increases our knowledge as well as he says, verse 12 there, we also not only find knowledge, but we find discretion. That is the ability to evaluate matters, to make the best judgments in our given situations. Verse 13 tells us the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now he comes back to this idea he talked about earlier. The fear of the Lord, that is a healthy respect of God, uh, in a sense, a, a reverence, like trembling before the authority of a great king, not in fear of being destroyed, but fear in the sense of that you are so awestruck by the, the power and the greatness of that king that you fear displeasing that king. You fear doing anything in rebellion to that king. That, that's the idea of the, the fear of the Lord, a strong reverence towards the Lord, he says, is... Here's one of the ways it's manifested, to hate evil. Notice, not just to avoid evil. That's one thing, to avoid evil. He says here, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Why? Because God hates evil. That is, we're to love the things God loves, and we're to hate the things that God hates. And then he mentions some of those things. Pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. So wisdom says, I hate these things because they're foolish. And the reason they're foolish is because they're contradictory to what the Lord desires. Remember, we just saw together in our study last time, he said there, there are six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. Remember, he said a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked plans, feet that are swift to running the evil, false witness who speaks lies, and the one who sows discord among the brethren. So again, there are things God hates. There are things he strongly detests. And the Bible says when we discover things that God hates, we should develop a similar attitude towards them. God, if you hate this, I love you and I reverence you and I fear you. So no matter what anyone else thinks about it, I want to think about it the way you think about it. If this is your stand on it, then, Lord, I want to have your heart, and I know that it is wise for me as your servant and as your son to have the same stance towards that. And here he says that wisdom itself says, look, the foolish enter into holding on to pride and having an arrogant spirit and taking evil ways in the perverse mouth. And he says, that's foolishness. Wisdom makes us begin to hate those things. Lord, I hate those things. I hate them in my own life when I see them. And I hate what they do in society and what they do to families and relationships. Wisdom says, verse 14, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding and I have strength. So notice one of the great benefits of wisdom, he says, verse 14, is it offers us counsel. And how we all many times need counsel in our life. We need some advice, some input, some guidance and wisdom is a wonderful thing to be able to offer in counsel, to be able to give sound wisdom and understanding and to strengthen a person in their paths. Here's one of the ways that wisdom is utilized. Verse 15, by me, wisdom says, kings reign and rulers decree justice. 
By me, princes rule and nobles and all the judges of the earth. So notice here we see that one of the things wisdom can bring great value to is wisdom can help. We can see from verse 15 and 16 here in our decision making. It can help us in leading in situations, in governing over matters and handling things. It says here, wisdom declares by me, by wisdom, kings reign. Now, again, that's a choice. I'm not saying all reign with wisdom. <laughs> that's why we're supposed to pray for kings and for all those in authority. People can choose foolishness and folly, and these are what these verses are telling us. But he says that by me, kings can reign. Kings have a lot of responsibility. They've got to make a lot of decisions. They have important choices. They have to manage a lot of affairs. And he's saying, by me, people can make good decisions. They can handle their affairs. They can govern well. They can manage efficiently kings and rulers. And what a wonderful thing that wisdom helps us in making decisions, particularly important ones. It helps us lead people. It helps us provide oversight better. It helps us to be able to direct others. Verse 17, he says, I love those who love me. Now, that's wisdom saying that. And those who seek me diligently will find me. So like we saw earlier, wisdom isn't something that we can be passive about. The Bible says we should actually pursue it. That it's something that we should be intentional, searching after wisdom. Again, diligently wanting to become wise. Remember Proverbs chapter 2 talked about it is the Lord who gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So you can simplify the pursuit of wisdom in this way. Pursue God. If you pursue God and God's word and you pursue getting to know God and listening to God, the Bible says it's the Lord who gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So the more you pursue God, the more you give opportunity for God to speak to you, the more God is going to impart wisdom into your life and you're going to find yourself benefiting and finding yourself becoming more and more wise. Verse 18, he mentions what we just referred to a moment ago. Wisdom says here, look, riches and honor are with me. So again, when you live wisely rather than living foolishly, chances are you're going to make better decisions. You're going to handle your affairs better. You're going to make less poor choices and good investments. You're going to be a better steward and manager of your finances and the decisions that you make or the purchases or choices that you have to make. So he says, riches and honor are with me. Many people who aren't real highly educated have become incredibly successful business people. And it was just because they, they had wisdom and savvy. And, and it didn't take a high education and, and knowing everything about business. It was just they became very wise, serpent-like thinking people in a sense of being savvy and shrewd. And, and through that wisdom, they, they did well. And so wisdom can be something that God can impart, again, to any one of us. And one of the benefits, he says, is it can bring actually riches and honor at times into your life, enduring riches. Now, notice this is beyond just material wealth, enduring riches and righteousness, my fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. So what's he saying in verse 18 and 19? Whether it's material wealth in a legitimate financial sense, or he says enduring riches, that's something more than physical money, enduring riches and righteousness, my fruit is better than gold, not gold, it's better than gold, yes, than fine gold, my revenue than choice silver. The bottom line, what wisdom is trying to convey to us is this, it pays to live wisely. 
it pays to live wisely. In the same way, it costs to live foolishly. So don't live foolishly. Seek to live wisely because to live wisely, it pays many wonderful dividends in lots of different ways. He says, verse 20, I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice that I may cause those, he says, who love me, look what he says, to inherit wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Again, the blessings that come from living a wise way, just generally, you're going to make better choices. In a general sense, you're going to be a better steward, and God's going to be able to bless that. Verse 22, and now he begins down through the remaining verses here to talk about how God himself used wisdom, and we saw this earlier, it's somewhat repetitious, how God himself used wisdom in creation. And again, this is a great indicator of how important wisdom is. The Lord possessed me, this is wisdom, he possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, now he's talking about the creative acts of God establishing the physical earth. I've been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. What's wisdom saying? I've been around for a long time. (laughs) I got a lot of experience. Rely on me. Don't rely on human foolishness. He says, rely on good old-fashioned wisdom. He said, I've been around from before the earth. I've been around with God. For a long time, he says, wisdom has got a good running reputation. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. That is, again, because God brought forth wisdom. When there were no foundations abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. God established wisdom and its usefulness. While as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, he says, I was there. It's almost as if God's saying, where were you, Tony? Were you there when the heavens were laid? Wisdom says, I was. So so don't use your human reasoning. Rely on me. Rely on wisdom. I was there. I was a part of these incredible things. When he prepared the heavens, when he drew the circle of the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Now, now follow what wisdom is saying here. Again, wisdom is describing how it was utilized by the Lord who created wisdom, but he chose to utilize wisdom, God himself, to build in a wise way. In other words, when God was establishing all of the physical created order, the universe, the heavens, the earth, all that exists in, in physical you know, creation, he chose not to be careless and haphazard. Instead, God was very orderly. He was using wisdom. He was building wisely and carefully using prudence and discernment and knowledge. And again, to me, I look at that and I think that's the way God built. That's the way God worked. We should not build and behave and work foolishly and carelessly and haphazardly. We should do everything well and with wisdom. It's how God builds. It's the way that God built well and built correctly, and that's how he wants us, no doubt, to do the same. In fact, notice he says when he assigned the sea its limit so it wouldn't transgress God's command, he marked out the foundations. In other words, what that reminds me there is that you, in a sense, hear wisdom saying, look, part of using wisdom is establishing boundaries because God, through wisdom, put boundaries on the waters. 
He didn't just allow everything to just run and go. However, instead, God literally established, we read right there, he established boundaries purposely, and he put limits upon things. And I think that's a very important thing because wisdom assigns limits and establishes boundary for safety reasons, for health reasons, to keep things under control. So we are behaving wisely when we set up boundaries, when we maintain limits, and we don't just let everything have the freedom to kind of run its course, but instead we, we realize, hey, to keep things safe and healthy and under control, it's good to have limits, good to have parameters in life, to establish boundaries and how we operate. That's how God operated. And he says here, verse 30, I was beside him, that's God, as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight. In other words, God was enjoying using wisdom. Rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. So God says he was delighting and enjoying being able to do things wisely. And I think it's a good reminder for us, the more we use wisdom, the more we're going to find, I tell you this, that life's more enjoyable and less miserable, right? The more we behave foolishly, life's more miserable. The more we behave wisely, life gets a lot more enjoyable, and you find it operates in the way that God intends it to. Verse 32, now therefore listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. So if we keep the ways of wisdom, we bring blessing upon ourselves. Hear instruction and be wise. Don't disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, indicating that it's a choice. We can listen to wisdom or we can listen to folly. We have to each make the choice, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of the doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul and all those who hate me, that is, hate wisdom, love death. So notice the emphasis, it's a choice of every single one of us. Every day, all the time in our journey, are we going to take the path of wisdom or are we going to go the path of folly? Are we going to listen to wisdom and wise reasoning and wise counsel or are we going to listen to the voice of folly and listen to foolish counsel or foolish human ideas in our own heads? And he says the difference is wisdom brings a blessing. He says it produces a life that sustains and, and develops life. It obtains God's favor favor from the Lord. And in contrast, he says there that he who sins against wisdom, rejecting it, wrongs his own soul. And he says, those who hate me love death. The idea is it's self-destructive. So when we reject wisdom, we really, in a sense, choose our own harm. You know, isn't it interesting how at times we, we choose foolish paths or we make foolish decisions? You know, I don't know why all this happened. I mean, can you believe this? I mean, if God loved me, why would he let this happen? Well, did somehow we miss the fact that you have a free will and God probably seven times said, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And we completely rejected God's wise way of doing things. And at times we behave foolishly and then we wonder why are we suffering? He says right here, we wrong our own self. When we behave foolishly, we just bring those consequences 
of suffering into our own lives. And again, God's trying to protect us from that, and wisdom is trying to get our attention. Verse 1 of chapter 9, he says, wisdom has built her house. So again, he's using this language now. She's hewn out her seven pillars, slaughtered her meat, and mixed her wine. She's furnished her table, sent out her maidens and cries from the highest places of the city. Again, here's the voice of wisdom. Whoever is simple, naive, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. So here we see in the first few verses some of the benefits, again, that wisdom supplies. Wisdom helps us to build well. He talks about how wisdom has built her house. And we can build well. Wisdom helps us to build a life rather than to tear down our life. He says wisdom has hewn out her seven pillars, and pillars uphold things so they don't fall apart. And as we operate in wise ways, it will help us to uphold what's good and healthy and important in our life rather than bringing down things and making our world fall apart. By using wisdom, we help uphold things and protect things and keep them strong and safe in our life. Wisdom supplies what we need. It it, it does things to furnish our table, to meet our needs. It helps us to handle things. And I love what he says in verse 5 because to me, I I almost hear the voice of Jesus in verse 5, come eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I've mixed. I mean, doesn't that sound like Jesus, who the Bible says, in him dwell all the the, the fullness of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is wisdom personified. And so at times when we're reading the voice of wisdom here and we're reading wisdom convey things, understand wisdom is found in Jesus. Jesus is wisdom personified. And certainly I almost hear the voice of Jesus here putting out an invitation because that's the wisest thing that any of us can do to embrace Jesus. And can't you almost hear the voice of Jesus through wisdom's voice saying, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. You almost hear the Lord calling us to the table of the Lord. Partake of the bread. This bread is my body broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. This cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sins. And here Jesus inviting us to come and to fellowship and to dine with him, to be satisfied and to be fulfilled. Again, that's the wisest choice any person can make, right? Is to come to Jesus and to enter into relationship with Jesus to find true fulfillment. And your hunger will be met and your thirst will be satisfied. And that's why it is so wise to come to Jesus and so utterly foolish to reject him. Look what he says, verse 6, forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. Notice how direct wisdom is and how honest God's voice is here by the Holy Spirit. God says, sometimes you and I need to recognize the foolish path that we're already on. And that's important. A mark of wisdom is sometimes realizing I've been behaving like a fool, man, or the path I've been on has been really foolish. He says there, forsake foolishness, meaning I'm behaving in foolishness. You're on a path of foolishness. He says, forsake that path. Get off of the path of foolishness and go in the way of understanding. And how wonderful that God gives us this thing in life, this gift called repentance, right? That we actually can do that, that we can recognize, man, I've been behaving foolishly or I've been on a foolish path. I need to make a U-turn. And I need to forsake that way of foolishness. That way of foolishness is ruining and wrecking my life. And I need to get instead 
going in the way of understanding. And how wonderful, you know, for those of us in this room, many of us this evening at one time, we were on the way of foolishness, which was a way of death. And God said to you, forsake the way of foolishness and live, man. What are you trying to kill yourself for? Forsake that way of foolishness and get on the way of understanding it. And when we did that, that was probably one of the wisest choices we made. We came to Jesus and he helps us to do that. He helps us forsake that foolish way and to follow his way of understanding. Verse 7, he mentions some other things that wisdom at times brings to our attention. He says, verse 7, he who corrects a scoffer, that is someone who mocks and doesn't want to hear truth, they don't want to receive instruction, they scoff and they have an attitude of hard-heartedness towards it. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, but he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. So notice what the Bible is showing us here, that wisdom teaches us that unfortunately, some people don't want to forsake the way of foolishness. The prior verse, he said to do it, but we all have a free will. And so sometimes God may be moving you, God may be using you to try and speak to someone in their foolishness and say, hey man, I was on that path of foolishness once and I was wrecking my life. Can I encourage you, forsake your way of foolishness. Come on the way of understanding. It's much better, man. And that person, when you speak to them, the reality is they may not want to listen. And they may just scoff and, you know, and refuse and have a hard-hearted attitude and, and mock you and, and, in a sense, you know, just disrespect and disregard. And he says here, the one who tries to correct or rebuke a scoffer or a wicked person who doesn't want to listen what you'll find is if you keep trying and trying to do that, you're just going to end up bringing your own self-harm. You're going to end up just getting hurt yourself. Sometimes there comes a time where you speak to someone once, and then you step back, and you retreat, and you pray, and until they want to listen, sometimes you got to just let God wrestle with them like Jacob. And some people truly have to be crippled to be crowned. They do. And, and, and so we have to be careful. Wisdom tells us sometimes that the battle is not always overcome by persistently trying to talk someone into change. Because he says sometimes a scoffer and a wicked person who doesn't want to change, they're not going to listen. And you're just going to hurt yourself and continue to be wounded if you keep trying to push and their heart is just hard. He says, verse 8, do not correct. Look at it. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. But rebuke a wise man. Notice the difference. Here's the wise man. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. He'll appreciate the correction that you challenged him or that you called him to account for his error. Give instruction to a wise man and he shall still be wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. So notice here, wisdom and foolishness can often be detected by a person's willingness to listen to others. Let me say that again. Wisdom and foolishness can often be detected by a person's willingness at times to listen to others. You find me a man, you find me a woman who has a chronic problem of never being willing to listen to others. Fool. Fool. And fools self-destruct. God says wisdom is that even if you're a wise person, you say, you know what? Sometimes 
I need somebody to speak into my life. Sometimes I need somebody to draw attention to something in my life, to point out an error in my life, to indicate a mistake going on in my life, to, to show me a blind spot. He says here, rebuke even a wise man and he'll love you. He may not like you, <laughs> but he'll love you. They may not initially like what you say to them, but they will love you because they realize, thank you for caring me enough to speak into my life. Thank you for caring about me enough to, to, to point that out to me, to say some hard things to me. Again, the Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We're going to see that in our Proverbs as we go on. He says, give instruction to the wise man. He'll become even wiser still and teach him and he will increase in learning. So again, wisdom means being teachable even if correction or guidance is necessary, being open to learn things from those more experienced, that's part of wisdom, realizing everybody may have more experience in a certain area and being willing to benefit from that, and even being receptive and willing to listen in humility when error is being challenged in our lives. And so here he says that's a real characterizing mark to distinguish the wise person and the foolish person. Verse 10, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So again, where does wisdom start? It starts with submission to God, realizing the authority of God and wanting to live in reverence and respect towards God. That is the wisest and first step any person can make. Again, the Bible says the fool says in his heart, no God or no to God. So the fear of the Lord, that's the, that's the starting point, the very beginning of wisdom. Tonight, if you're here and you have a healthy fear of the Lord, you are leaps and bounds wiser than so many people out there in the world who have no fear of God in their life. You are incredibly wise and on a path to wisdom because you've already submitted yourself to God's rulership over your life. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Oh, how, do I, how do I get better understanding? I want to understand things better. I want to understand how to handle things better. He says here, get to know God better. Because as you get to know God better, you'll get to understand God's will and God's plan and God's ways and God's purposes. So the best way to become a more understanding person is to get to understand God better. Just get to know God better and continue to get to, to, to know him, not just knowledge of him, but knowing him. Truly know God in a relationship and you will find it will make you become an incredibly understanding person how life works the way God intended Verse 11, he says, for by me, that's by wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to you. In other words, God will allow you to live in a more healthy way. And generally because of that, you won't end up doing harmful and self-destructive things that may end your life prematurely. And he says, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. In other words, if you're a wise person, you end up reaping the benefits of that wisdom for yourself. But if you scoff, then you will bear it. The idea is bear your consequences, bear your problems alone. So you can bring benefit to your life or you can bring burdens into your life, depending upon whether you choose wisdom or choose folly. Verse 13, he concludes by now going back to this foolish woman announced. And notice there's another voice speaking to vie for our attention. The foolish woman is clamorous. The idea is loud and obnoxious. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by who go straight on their way. Notice the same language. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. 
and him who lacks understanding. She says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that the dead are there. Sounds much like Proverbs 7 we looked at last time, that her guests are in the depths of hell. So notice, God's wisdom always crying out, inviting us, enter into relationship with me. Embrace wisdom. Let wisdom become your helper. But understand there are always going to be many voices out there. And as I said earlier, James 3 talks about other kinds of wisdom than wisdom from above. Sensual wisdom, earthly, worldly wisdom, demonic wisdom. And know that the voices of wrong wisdom are very loud and obnoxious. Anybody notice that on media? Very loud. It's amazing how those who are very wise and helpful communicate in one tone, and people who want to spread foolishness are incredibly loud and obnoxious, and they're clamoring for everyone's attention, and they're inviting people to embrace their ideas in the same way, but look, he says, look, don't buy in to these other lying voices that are going to encourage, like this immoral woman saying, trying to draw in the young, hey, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Notice, th there is such a thing as temporary pleasure, momentary fulfillment, stolen water, doing what's wrong can initially be enjoyable. It can initially be satisfying. But he says, that which is stolen, that which is done secretively and incorrectly and in the dark and wrongly, it may initially be satisfying and pleasant for the moment, but the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, but then that season quickly comes to an end and nothing but pain and destruction and problems come. So be wise, God says. Be careful of the voice that you listen to. Always be listening to the voice that aligns with God's word, with God's wisdom. That is the relationship you want to enter into and realize that there are going to be other loud voices. Sometimes they may be louder than God's still small voice. And you know what you do? You don't listen. You don't even have to tell them to stop being loud and obnoxious because they're probably not going to listen because they're scoffers. Just don't listen. Just don't follow. Let's stand together. Let's pray.